Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Matt Goldrick, sales manager for Quartermaster Logistics. He's been a board game fan ever since he received his first box of HeroQuest in 1990 and has worked in the industry for the past five years, covering all aspects of the business from design and development to fulfillment. Matt, Welcome to the bench. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, you know, I just get absolutely giddy when it comes to talking about logistics. It's probably something you never hear. <laughs> yeah, well, I so, work in logistics, and I don't know if I get giddy about it. So. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, I, I, I say that in jest. I, I actually do get excited about logistics. I, uh, in, on my on my personal business side, I... Uh, we get pretty deep into logistics. So it is such a crucial cog in the, in the process that um, my advice to anybody, quite frankly, is, you know, get giddy about logistics because that can make or break your campaign and it can make or break your budget. So, um, so let's get into it. So can you talk a little bit about quartermaster logistics? I just want to kind of start from almost like a base scratch level here for people who don't understand what fulfillment is and and kind of what the logistics end is. Explain what quartermaster is and what it does. Sure. So everybody knows what Kickstarter is all about, right? That's where we we get all the cool stuff, right? So when you're following your campaign, you're looking at all the stretch goals and seeing all the cool things that are there. Once that's all over with and all the money's been collected, that's where quartermaster logistics lives, right? Uh, there is a process of getting your game ready to be made and shipped and freighted and moved. And we, you know, we say factory fulfillment from or from factory to door, right? Because there is an entire process of moving it from the factory to your giddy hands, right? Where you can open everything and see all the cool stuff that you saw on Kickstarter. And it's it's a long process. Uh, it's uh, a, uh, an involved process, and very few people actually know what it takes to make all that stuff happen. And that's where that's where we step in. What I tell a lot of clients is, we handle a lot of the unfun parts of making a board game. Right? We we take that we take care of all that stuff for you. We we try to be that one stop shop for for all of our clients to make sure that they can do the fun stuff, and we'll take care of the unfun stuff. Right. So let's talk about some of this unfun stuff. So you have obviously Kickstarter fulfillment. So you guys actually help ship the games to the the end user who backs the campaign. Um, But it goes beyond that, right? Like from my own personal experience and, you know, full disclosure to anybody uh, listening or watching this podcast, I personally used uh, Quartermaster Logistics for the U.S. uh, part of my fulfillment on my Tanks But No Thanks. Uh, game. And uh, what I would say is that using a fulfillment partner, uh, like a quartermaster logistics or like a games quest in the UK, I know you guys uh, do some partners with them on certain campaigns right. and so forth. And same with uh, Aetherworks in uh, the UK. It is amazing how simple um, a fulfillment company will make the process for you. It's very complicated. Um, right. You know, if you want to you know, roll up your sleeves and dive deep, sure. There's areas you can save some money, but man, if you want to save a lot of headache, uh, a fulfillment company is going to do that for you. So we've got the part of the fulfillment. Can you talk a, a little bit about 
kind of factory uh, from the factory to uh, even getting the game into your hands in the first place, how you guys help in that regard? Well, sure. There's, I mean, we don't actually make the games, right? That's the only part of this that we don't do. Right. Uh, But once your games are done at the factory, they've got to go right Your factory is not going to hold on to your games. They're not going to store that stuff for you, but it's got to go and it's got to go somewhere. So what we do is we can we can step in at any stage of the process. We, we want to make sure that we're available for whatever you need, whether it's all of it, some of it, in between, whatever. But once your games are done, they're packed in boxes, they're put on pallets, they're all wrapped up nice and neat, and they have to be moved somewhere. And that's where we step in. And we handle the, we can handle the freight, like which there's a key difference there between freight and shipping. People use those terms uh, yeah. together and they're not really the same thing, right? Freight is is putting it in a container, which is what you see on the back of an 18 wheeler, right? Putting it in a container and moving that to the fulfillment hub. So you mentioned some fulfillment hubs, um, but sometimes, you know, we will do some of the stuff from the US, we'll do some of the stuff from Europe, we'll do some of the stuff from Asia, we'll do some of the stuff from Australia. And that's another step of the process. We figure out those lane splits. Like if you have a thousand packages going out, if 200 of them are going to Asia, we're not going to ship them to the United States, you know, and then send them back to Asia. We're going to send them to a fulfillment park in Asia, right? And we help coordinate all of those things. So we figure out what's going where and make sure everything is coordinated and, and consolidated. And then that's when the freight happens. And that's the, the long part of the process, right? It's when that stuff gets on the water. And when we say something is on the water, that usually means anywhere from four weeks to six weeks of just slow boating to the United States or wherever, right? And after that point, that's where we get things into all of our hubs, which happens at different times, right? Which some mm-hmm. people don't understand is when, when it gets to a hub in Australia, that is usually much sooner than a hub in the United States. So you can see a game, somebody opening up the game that you're very excited for, right? You can see yeah. them opening up that game in Australia because it's already there, but it's still on the water on its way to the U.S., right? So um, when we get things in the warehouse, that's when we start to break everything down and take a look at everything you've had. We've done a lot of that work ahead of time. We've done a lot of that coordination, but that's when we say, okay, how many pallets do we have? Where are they going to go? When's it going back out? All the nitty gritty spreadsheet fun of figuring out what's going and where right and that's when that's when the packing and picking and all that kind of stuff starts to happen and that's when it's soon away from getting to you right yeah i'd say the that example you gave of you know people uh, in one country seeing their game while others are still waiting the same thing like i'm in canada a qml is in uh, is in the states and depending on uh, which port you pull into. So if you pull to the Canadian, like usually if you're going to service North America, you're going to either pull into the Canadian port, pull off the percentage you need to go to the States and then ship it straight South or vice versa, right? You come into right. a, a U.S. port, slice off what you need for Canada and ship it North. So in either of those situations, you're going to see people in North America. I had this in, on one of my campaigns where people were saying, hey, what's going on? Uh, I'm seeing people with their game. And they were seeing people at the game in Canada because it landed in Canada first. And then while stuff is on its way down the States, we already started fulfilling uh, the pledges. We didn't want to wait, right? We started fulfilling already in Canada. Um, What would you say is the timeline people should uh, expect or should plan for 
in terms of getting uh, their goods comfortably from manufacturing plant in China to quartermaster to to your hubs ready to then be fulfilled. Like, what is? Can you can you give people an idea of that time frame? There's a there's a lot of things that go into to figuring out that that calculation, yeah. right? Like in general, there is I would say anywhere from three to seven weeks. And there's so many things that that depends on that we largely don't have control over. Yeah. There is the amount of time to come from the factory to the port, right? There's it, that takes time to load up however many containers of product that you have, getting them from the because the factories aren't sitting at the port, right? They're inland, right? So that stuff's got to go there, and then once it gets on the water, not even get on the water, but once it gets to port, how congested is the port? That's what a lot of people have been seeing over the past year with everything that's been happening with COVID is that the yeah. ports have become congested, right? So not as many ships are leaving port as normally would be. And that number changes all the time, right? So your product may be a week and a half from when it's done at the factory to when it gets on a boat. And it may be four days, it may be six days. It's, uh, it's hard to say, right? Cause it's at that time is when we can know when that's gonna happen. And we can't predict the future for those. So, but once it gets on the water, generally you can expect three to four weeks at, at minimum, sometimes five, sometimes six if things really go wrong. But um, once it gets from to us, then, you know, there's the queue of product, which, you know, everybody hates to see, but is a necessary part of it. But because most of the product that comes into us spends less than two weeks in our warehouse, uh, it comes in, gets unloaded and it gets put on the pallet. You get, get the pallets get put on the shelves. It's 45,000 square foot warehouse and the shelves go all the way to the ceiling, right? So it gets loaded up and sometimes it gets unloaded right away. Yeah. Generally it's about a week, right? From that point. But um, the amount of time it takes to pack and ship everything is very minimal. It's the time of getting everything processed in there. So you're looking at like a three to seven week period of time from the factory to when it gets to our hub. And sometimes, like sometimes some projects, depending on how, how big they are, small projects can be done in a day, right? They can be sorted, picked, packed, sh- labeled, everything in a day. And it doesn't yeah. take too long to move out. We've got a great team in our warehouse who's been doing this for a long time. So they're well-versed in how to handle all these things. But, Would you say that people should give themselves three months just to kind of... Yeah, I mean, it's, safe, it's yeah. a safe way. I always tell people, you should always expect to expect long and hope for short, right? It's the best way to look for it. Cause if you expect short, you're going to get long, right? It's yeah. just, you're going to be disappointed. And there's a, just so much of that, that we don't control. Like we don't control the ocean conditions. We don't control, you know, like the port congestions. And then there's port congestions on this side too. Customs right? as well, right? Sometimes well, yeah, things the, get uh, inspected. Containers get inspected. That's another week, right? Yeah. I mean, sometimes stuff can just sit at customs, right? You yeah. just sit there because maybe something wasn't filled out exactly right. Uh, something wasn't, you know, you know, they say you got to dot your I's and cross your T's. If you don't do it, you may be stuck in customs and sit there. I've, I've had situations uh, outside of QML where I've had product that just is stuck at customs and there's nothing you can do to make customs move any faster than it is. Right. So you can have products sometimes sit for a week or two, even in customs. Uh, and sometimes it just goes right through. No problems. And you never know which one it's going to be until it gets to customs. So. What's the worst you've seen in terms of, since you've been at QML in terms of just a mess in terms of customs clearance of uh, of a game? 
Uh, you know, U.S. customs are not that bad. It's generally when something gets long at customs, it's because somebody made a mistake. Uh, we are not the importer of record of your products. Um, there's a, a fine line to draw with what that is, but we don't actually import your product. You do. We're just coordinating the handling of the product. So for a lot of those things, we're not we're not filling out those forms for you. We're getting you set up with a customs agent who helps you with all those things. So, I mean, I don't know that I've seen the worst, but I think the longest I've seen has been about a little over a week, like maybe a week and a half. Mm -hmm. um, that's probably the worst. And even then, that's not that bad. But generally, it's a few days. Do you have to be the importer record, though, if they're not a U.S.-based company? So if, if there's a company out of country using you to... Uh, fill the games and they need to ship the games into QML. Like, how does that get imported then? If, if, how do they become the imported record if they're not American companies? Uh, that is outside of my purview. <laughs> so, uh, in those particular situations, because we're not the importer of record, uh, we have people that we refer our clients to who can assist them with that side of it. Got it. Because yeah. we handle, because um, we're not actually importing any of the products. We deal with customs agents on both sides because. We move product to uh, to Europe and Australia and Asia too. So when we're doing that, it's it's one of those weird things. Are we moving it in bulk, right? Are we moving it in bulk in a container? Are we shipping it from our warehouse in Florida? Are we shipping it from China? You know, because sometimes we'll have stuff in China that we fulfill to Australia with. It all depends on the numbers and what works best. Because we're always trying to see like what's the cheapest and best solution for you. Sometimes it's freight and shipping. Sometimes it's just straight shipping. We always try to find out what the balance is for those things, right? So on that end, because we can't be an importer of record for, because we have over 400 clients. Yeah. Uh, we can be the importer of record for so many people. It's just, there's just a liability issue with that, that we can't, can't absorb for that many people. Um, so we aren't the importer for most of our people. And they, and they can get registered with uh, the customs agents and, and set up what they need to be becoming importer of record. So. Gotcha. And um, after the fulfillment, um, I believe your company also will do ongoing fulfillment as well, right? That's an option where people can store their yeah, goods. We, we like when we say one-stop shop, that's really what we want to do, right? We want to make sure that you're covered all the way around. And we'll cover whatever you need for the most part. Some people, once we handle the fulfillment, that's it. We're done. You know, like they've, you know, they pay their fulfillment charges. The product is out. We're all done. Some people, they want to do more. And it's, there's, like I said, it's the unfun, like part of this process. Nobody wants to think about that once that campaign is done, they want to make the next fun game, right? They want to go back to development. They want to go back to design and graphics and art and do all that fun stuff again. And they don't want to think about that, but we can handle just about anything you need. If you need storage for your product, we got you. If you need um, ongoing fulfillment for your product, we can, we do, uh, we do orders twice a week. So your product can be shipped out from us and we handle the packing and picking and shipping. Um, we can do consignment through cool stuff, which is our parent company. We can do that. So if you need a place to sell your product, we can sell it on cool stuff. Um, we can do all of those things for you and we handle all the customer service along the way too, right? That's included with what we do. Um, we can handle all of the customer service for it. We can handle some of the customer service for it. Whatever is the most convenient for you. Our goal is to fit in with what you have set up as your company because mm -hmm. there, there's so many people in this industry who don't do this as a full-time job um, that they have their full-time job and this is what they do when they get off of work, right? 
And yeah. so because of that, they don't have a they don't have a customer service department and they don't have a, a production department and they don't have a you know a logistics coordinator or anything like that. We're those people for those kind of people. And that's the great thing about this industry is there's so many people who do that and love to do it, but just don't have the time to do that part. And if we can step in and fill that role for them, that's what we want to do. So and how does Cool Stuff Inc. fit in with the company? Can you talk a little bit about the affiliation with Cool Stuff Inc. and how that kind of fits in with QML? Sure. Uh, they're they're where where it all started, right? Um, a few guys playing Magic back in the day um, decided that there was an opportunity there with Magic um, to sell singles and sell cards. And over the years, they learned how board games could make a difference uh, and started selling board games on Cool Stuff as well. And now they're now they're one of the biggest online retailers of board games out there, right? And so we're actually in the same warehouse. When you look in our warehouse, mm. there's a small portion of our warehouse that is cool stuff, right? There's 40,000 square feet of stuff. That's your fulfillment product. There's 5,000. And I don't know those exact numbers, but right around there. So we, we actually do them side by side. So when you order product from cool stuff, uh, your product is being packed and uh, shipped right next to Kickstarter fulfillments that are going out. It's literally in the same lane of stuff. So uh, we're all together. And we, before we got our current warehouse, we were actually, everything was in this tiny little warehouse behind the cool stuff store. So. Um, and is, so is that two different slots? Like, is that two different storage fees or can you, do you have one storage fee and then they pick for the Kickstarter and they pick for cool stuff from the same skid or how, how does that work? It's all in the same thing, right? Like we have, we have people who don't fulfill with us who use cool stuff, right? That it's just a, another avenue of sales for somebody. So there is that cool stuff side of the store. But if you have product that, because you can do Kickstarter copies, right? Like if you have extra Kickstarter copies of something and you want to sell them and you can consign them, we can do that through a Kickstarter. We have a special page just for that. Um, but then you, if you also have product that you want to make available on cool stuff, we can do that too. Um, and they're literally like right there next to each other. So yeah. unless, you know, if you, brought your product in to fulfill it's right over there we just go grab it we put it in like it's there's a there's a long chain of complicated order systems that generates all that stuff but as far as like when it's getting picked up and packed up it's literally right next to each other one thing that um you guys are really well known for is is how much care you take in packaging a single game when it when it's shipped out to an individual and I got Mike Bruner and uh, Eric uh, Furston in the uh, in the chat box here, and, and Mike was saying that, and I agree with Mike. Is that you're almost second to none in terms of packing quality. People know that if they're getting their game from Quarter, uh, Quartermaster Logistics, that it's going to come in pristine condition. Uh, it is encased <laughs> in bubble wrap, and it is in a nice, thick, hearty box. Um, can you talk a little bit about? the importance of that for you guys and how that's something you really is really focused on. Sure. I mean, you can like, you can look, it wouldn't take you long to find it on Google, but you can look at the horror stories of buying a board game from someplace else and how it gets shipped to you. You know, I try seen, Amazon for one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't want to name names there. He's got a lot more. I will, <laughs> but I've seen situations where somebody buys something on Amazon and the shipping label is literally stuck on the outside of the board game box. Yeah. You know, and those packages, those boxes are not designed for shipping. So there's no, you know, like it's board games are weird, right? Because they're weird shapes, they're weird sizes, they're weird weights. You can have a 12 by 12 box that weighs 10 pounds, right? Because cardboard is dense, right? 
So mm -hmm. you have some of these gray boards and particle boards that are really heavy, and then you add cards in there, and there's a lot of weight that you can pack in those boxes. So you have something that is a normal size, but is very, very heavy, right? So those are the things that people don't really think about when they're packing stuff up, because traditionally there's, I mean, I could go and talk about dimensional weights and all these kind of things, but yeah, how do you get that stuff in there the right way? With our clients, we always send them a test, what we call it, we call it a test pack. But when we get your game and we say, okay, here's the shape of your game. We actually do this ahead of time. We have some programs yeah. that predict, like it's the box predictor will look and see like, okay, what box is this going to fit in the best? Do we need a custom box? Oh, where cool. do we want to? Yeah, where do we want to go with this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So when it comes in, because everything changes, like you can say it's the size, and then it gets made, and maybe it's a little bit off, or maybe it's a little bit long, or you know, we want to make sure that we have the right room for packing and all those kind of things. So we'll take that box, we'll get our own boxes. We have standard sizes and custom sizes, and we'll go in, we'll put it in, we'll we'll pack it up with everything. But we want to make sure there's a certain amount of packing around it, because yeah. it's just think about it. If you're going to pack a box in another box, where do you put the void fill? Is what we call it, right? Do you put it on the bottom? Do you put it on the top? Do you put it on the sides? Do you want to have it right up against the edge? Do you want to have like this corner jutting out? All those kind of things. So we will actually pack up a box and then take a picture of it and send it to you. So you know exactly what your yeah. box is going to pack like before it goes out. So like there's always extraneous circumstances, right? There's some things like sometimes your your carrier just plays kickball with your stuff, right? Yep. There's not much we can do about that, but you know, we 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 handle that in our customer service side of things because we'll follow all those things down. If your carrier messes things up, we'll we'll file claims with your carriers and we'll take care of all that stuff for you. But you know, we make sure that when the product leaves our warehouse, it's packed to the best of our ability. Uh, and you know, we'll we'll advise our customers on what we think should be done and shouldn't be done. And you know, ultimately it's not our decision for those, but we say, look, this is what's going to get it there in the best way possible. Yeah. Give it a thumbs up and we go from there. Yeah, I can attest to it. I remember getting the photo myself and uh, and you guys said, you know, can you approve <laughs> this this image of how to pack the game? And I was like, at the time, I'm like, yeah, sure. It looks great. Not realizing like the importance of, you know, how much bubble wrap needs to go around this to make sure that it's uh, it's in pristine condition. And I had zero, literally zero complaints on any of my fulfillment in the States. Uh, I had nobody come back saying, you know, my box is dented or like nothing. So you guys did an amazing job. I really do appreciate that. I want to jump back to the comment just really quickly you made on Amazon uh, about having, sometimes they'll just stick their own sticker on right on the actual game box. If there's any uh, publishers out there, they're looking at who maybe aren't using Amazon right now and are looking to put their games on Amazon. I just want you to make a mental note or look for this when you when you when you choose to put this through fulfill through Amazon is you have the option of either a having them put a UPC on the box or you put the UPC on the box. They want to put their own barcode on there over top of your barcode. If you want to control what that looks like, please elect to do that yourself. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, it's extra work, but at least you can put some protection in there if you have a shrink sleeve over your game like most people do put on the shrink sleeve is going to get ripped off when the shrink sleeve comes off. If you don't, you have to, you know, give some consideration on how you apply this. So it's not going to um, damage your game because people take these games really, really seriously, right? It's a lot of money. It's a big investment. A lot of people on Kickstarter aren't just buying five games. Like they're in the hundreds of games and you know, there there's, 
there's a, a process about opening it and, you know, the feeling and excitement when you open that box and a lot of people do opening uh, box openings. The last thing you want to do is open that box and see a tear on tear on it or a big dent because right. it was just treated poorly and so forth. So how's COVID hit you guys? Uh, like, can you talk a little bit about how you guys have been impacted? Obviously I'm talking to you, you're in your house. Right. Um, you know, how, how, how's core master been, uh, been impacted by COVID? Well, you know, it's done some interesting things because I actually, I live in Indianapolis um, and our warehouse is in Florida. So I clearly am not in the warehouse or anywhere near it. Um, and when this all started, um, we had to make some, you know, at the beginning, nobody knew what was happening. Um, the business overall took a dip. Uh, fulfillment took a dip. Product coming out of China took a dip. Nobody knew what was happening. And we had to make some adjustments. We had to figure out what can we do that was number one was the safest for our employees because we don't want to endanger anyone. Yeah. Uh, number two, how can we still make money, right? Because that's also important for our employees too, right? So we went through some we went through some determination about how we were going to do it, and ultimately, there's no way to pack pack things up without people being at the warehouse. So uh, we kind of went through a process of figuring out the the safety and regulations in the warehouse that we needed to have in place about masks and, you know, and all those kind of things that we need to go through. But as a company, what it told us was um, we can do a lot of what we do outside of the office, right? Um, most of our staff lives in Florida, but what we determined was is that there's so much that we can do outside of that, that, um, that we couldn't do before because now we're forced to work from home. Yeah. Uh, so they're like, Oh, well, wait, we're working just as well from home as we are in the office. So um, I actually wouldn't even be working at quartermaster if, if it wasn't for something like that, because I don't live in Florida and I don't have any intention of living in Florida. Um, <laughs> I like where I live, uh, but I wouldn't have even been able to be considered for the position that I'm in if I wasn't able to work remotely. Right. Um, and we have a couple of our account managers live away from Florida. I know one lives in Texas, I think, and one lives in Colorado. Uh, so because a lot of the work we do, especially for me in sales, is that I talk to people all over the world. You know, yeah. I don't just everybody who makes game doesn't live in the United States before. Uh, right before we got on a call, I just finished sending an email to somebody in Poland. Uh, and this morning I was talking to somebody in France. Uh, and so, you know, it's I'm never on the same time zone as everybody else, right? So yeah. I can, because of the way that I work and the way we do things, especially in the sales department is, we work when it's needed for the customers, right? So that's a great thing that we can do from home that maybe we wouldn't have been able to do in the office or we can at least know that we can still function as a business. So it really opened up some doors for us that we didn't know that it would do because of how we operated in the past and how we operate now. So. Yeah, certainly I think globally seeing a shift um which is probably going to be permanent in many cases on how sure. businesses are structured and, and um, you know, how employees interact with the company, whether it be remotely or, or on site. And, you know, it, anytime things like this happen, usually innovation comes out of it. And certainly yeah. we're seeing that in terms of the, you know, corporate structures. Um, there's a, there are several people in the chat room that have, have paid some very uh, kind compliments. And I just want to kind of read a couple of these to you. Okay. Um, yeah, one from uh, from Eric uh, says, please tell Matt that I really appreciate the quartermaster sends out address confirmation emails before shipping out items. That's a great extra service of care uh, for your customers. Well, that's actually that's actually really new for us. Mm. Uh, we started doing that two, three weeks ago, I think, um, maybe a month ago. 
um because we want to because we all know like you have to have your address at kickstarter and you got to confirm it in the pledge manager we're like what it, there's always times that need to be it's great for us right because it helps yeah. us make sure we have less reroutes and call tags and things like that that we have to do but it's great for our clients too because that's one extra level of address verification for everything so yeah. we're really pleased with that so I'll tell eric i'm eric i'm glad you like it man it's, it's working out great <laughs> for us too so. Nothing worse than sending stuff to the wrong address, that's for sure. Um, and I can tell you from personal experience, uh, even though you send out reminders and, and emails to people saying, hey, can you please re-verify your address? The number of times you still have to chase people down, sure. even after multiple emails, after they've already paid, um, it's it, it surprises me. So having that extra level of protection there, I think is great. Mike uh, Bruner said, "You know, one of my favorite things about working with QML uh, that he wasn't expecting was that the network of fulfillment companies uh, that you work with all over the world, including VFI, Aetherworks, Spiral Galaxy, and others. Um, you know, if he had a question on an order in Australia, he would just talk to his contact at QML and uh, mm -hmm. get it sorted out. So um, that's one thing I really liked in this industry. We talked uh, on the podcast about a month ago uh, with uh, Nigel from uh, from GamesQuest and um, mm -hmm. You know, just the the sheer level of cooperation in this industry, uh, publishers helping publishers, developers helping developers, logistics companies helping logistic companies. It, it is shocking. It's the only industry I, I've seen where you've seen this amount of cooperation between uh, competitors. It's it's crazy, yeah, but it's it's such a relief to see. Um, and then we got Robert um, saying having a single point of contact for everything through Quartermaster Logistics is just absolutely fantastic. So. Um, obviously great kudos to you guys. You guys do amazing work. Um, you know, hopefully people have a better idea on kind of what core master is all about. Uh, personally, I think if someone is new into doing Kickstarters, at least for your first time, you know, do yourself a favor, partner up with a fulfillment company, uh, like QML, uh, it is going to shoulder a lot of the headaches that you don't need your first time around. And, uh, and certainly I think uh, quartermaster logistics is a great company to do that with. So Matt, I want to thank you very much for coming on this podcast. I really do appreciate your time and I wish you all the best to you and your family. You take care. Cheers. Cheers. This has been an episode of the board game binge podcast hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group board game binge and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.